0: Good morning, everyone. I am Ian. I'm the other teaching pastor here at Door of Hope, if you don't know me. Um, while I get myself organized here, why don't you crack open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? We're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and get, a, get an eyeball on verse 38. We're going to begin there this morning. Uh, and just while you're turning there, I'll just, I'll just say this while it's on my mind. Um, it's been brought up before. Uh, there's different translations of the Bible, and sometimes what I'm reading from or what Josh is re- reading from isn't exactly what your translation has, and people have brought that up as a concern. That's okay. There's different translations. Um, the Bible says the same thing, but instead of call the, calling a building a building, your translation might say a structure. Same idea. So don't be alarmed by that if you're, if you're new to the Bible. Um, that's a totally normal thing. So. As you follow along with me in Matthew chapter five, if you see a a different word, uh, do not be overly alarmed. I'm gonna read verse 38 and following uh, down to verse 42. Jesus speaking, he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your garment as well. And whoever forces you to go with them one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Before we get into this, uh, let's bow our heads just one more second for time of prayer. Jesus, thank you for your word, thank you for revealing yourself to us, coming to earth, God in the flesh, in leaving us with your written words so that we might learn of you, that we might learn of your kingdom, learn of your character, and that we might be molded and conformed more and more into your likeness every day. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would use my broken, feeble vocabulary as a broken and feeble man and that you would, you would utilize your scriptures here this morning, spoken out to your people to correct and to comfort, to convert. Lord, we trust you for all things. Jesus, be with us now. Thank you. For allowing us this place, thank you for allowing us this body and this building where it's warm and we can open up your word without fear of persecution. Open up our hearts, open up our minds, in Jesus' name, amen. So turn the other cheek, uh, a rather famous passage, pretty well known, even outside of the church body and Josh assigned me this, these, these verses uh, a week or so ago and I, I remember going home and I told Angela that I was given the turn your other cheek verses and she goes good I said what why she's like because you need to listen to that you need this and friends it is it is kind of funny uh but it's also not funny because it is true that uh, I don't know if it's just because uh, testosterone or if it's just my temperament or what but this teaching of Jesus goes against every inclination that I have as a human being the Bible tells us that that's gonna happen when God the Spirit gives you a new birth. He, he, God the Spirit writes the law of God on your heart. This is, and this is what we're talking about. This goes along with the flow of the entire Sermon on the Mount. Taking the external law and actually putting it on your heart. Ezekiel chapter 36. That God, by the power of his Spirit, turns us into a people that actually care about the laws of God that actually want to honor him, want to please us, want to please him with our lives in response to the beauty and the grace and the mercy of who he is and what he has done on the cross. Whenever you realize the magnitude of what he's done for you, it melts your heart and it makes you want to actually honor him, trust him, and honoring and trusting him naturally bleeds out into loving the people around you. The Bible also says that the old person, that old flesh, the, the natural propensities and temperaments and personalities that we have are, are going to be challenged by the living Christ. And Galatians 5.17 says that the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh are opposed to one another. So oftentimes, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for more than a week, you understand that there's this, like, there's this desire to want to do the things that you want to do, but there's that still quiet voice of the Lord ringing in, your, in, your, in the back of your mind going, this isn't you anymore. This isn't Christ honoring. This is, there's, there's a better way. Deny the flesh. Deny the flesh. This is an area for me where it's really hard to de- deny the flesh. And so what I've done this morning, and I always, always do this, I always want to continue to do this, is to exegete this scripture by, by using the Bible. I wanna tell you what the Bible has to say, what God has to say in his written word concerning this text in his written word. But this week, I, I spent even, I think, more energy making sure that I wasn't inserting in the passage my own ideas or my own opinions or my own preferences. I wanna refrain from saying things like, well, I think and I feel. I don't wanna do that. Because this passage is, is it's, it's a little volatile. This is, one of those, this is one of those portions in scripture where people get, they get mad real quick. Because they, say, they, they see here that Jesus says, turn the other cheek, and they go, see? Just open pacifism, no matter what, no matter what happens, the Christian's duty is to just sit back, not get involved, not say anything, not do anything, and they point to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, and they say, see, the Bible says so. And there's other people that go, no, 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 they pull out their nine mil, and they rack it, and they're like, I don't, that's, that's not what Jesus meant, he meant something else, and we're going to talk about some of the verses that people bring up, but there's this, there's this reaction. I mean, just this week, as I've been talking to people about this, this passage, there's been several people who immediately, like, well, no, 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 that's not what Jesus is saying. You don't understand. You don't get it. Because I think this, or I feel that, and I go, yeah, I get it, but you've got to, like, what I think and what I feel is not important. We've got to go to the scriptures. What is Jesus saying? What is he trying to teach us here? And so, I just want to open With that, this is a hard passage for me. I have not enacted violence on a human being in over a decade, but I think about it a lot. I think about saying things. I don't know how many times I've confessed to my wife something happens with an individual and I have to bite my tongue almost till it bleeds. One of the gifts, you know, whenever you're a preacher the thing is is that you're able to talk and you can think quickly. But the downside to that is that your tongue, the Bible says in James, that your tongue is a relentless evil. And the evil in my tongue, I could say things to people that might put them in therapy and it just comes to me. Like, it just is like instantaneous. I think I could be the big guy here. I could be wise, I could be witty, I could be funny. I could cut this person down, make them feel terrible and ensure that they'll never mess with me ever, ever again. And I bite my tongue because nothing good's gonna come out of my mouth in those moments. So just know that this is a challenge for me and because of that, this is very, very valuable. I've taken this to heart. I don't think it's a mistake that, that, that Josh assigned me this passage today. So with all that said, let's move on. What is, what is Jesus saying here? What is going on? Verse 38, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And immediately right there, maybe some of you are thinking, see that's barbaric. I'm so glad that Jesus is gonna flip this upside down. He's gonna rewrite the whole thing. He's gonna clarify what is actually meant. But we have to pause for a moment because this is actually the Bible. Jesus is quoting the Bible here. You have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It actually does say that in scripture in Exodus chapter 21, in Leviticus chapter 24. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But this is not talking about personal vengeance, which is how we take it. Well, if you, you gouge my eye out, then I'll gouge your eye out. And Mahatma Gandhi said eye for an eye and the whole world is blind. And if you're on the more pacifist, region, then you go, yes, that's exactly right, so we're not going to do that. But this is actually the Bible that Jesus is quoting here, and it's because it was a law of, of mercy that was written in the Bible to actually prevent blood feuds and to prevent vengeance. Uh, a very hostile and colorful character in the Old Testament is a guy by the name of Lamech, Genesis chapter 4. And here's, here's something that Lamech says in chapter, chapter 4 of Genesis, verses 23 and following. He says, I have killed a man for just striking me. I have killed a boy for wounding me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech is, it will avenge 77-fold. Exodus chapter 21 says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, burn for a burn, wound for a wound, bruise for a bruise. And again, if you think that's cruel, that's barbaric, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing that. The reason why that law was actually stated is one, it wasn't ever about personal vengeance. It wasn't, a, it wasn't just allotted for you to go out in the middle of the night with your buddies and attack that guy's house at 3 a.m. This was actually meant to be in the court of law. This was how justice was supposed to be served. It prevented people from killing for being wounded. It made sure that there was a quid pro quo. It made sure that the punishment actually fit the crime. It was put in place for protection. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, this is spelled out. Deuteronomy 19:15. we read this. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed, but rather... You guys hear that, right? Okay, sometimes I have flashbacks. But at the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be established. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both of the men who have this dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests, and before the judges who will be in office in those days. And the judges shall inquire thoroughly, and behold, if the witness is false, and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he had intended to do to his brother and in this way you shall purge the evil from among you and the rest will hear and they will be afraid and never again do such an evil thing amongst you and thus your eyes shall show no pity life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand and foot for foot deuteronomy 19 so this was put in place to prevent people from just going out and seeking vengeance bloodlust We're all about it. We there's there's a little bit of Lamech in all, all inside all of us you you mess with me And I'm gonna make you pay for it. I'm gonna get even with interest You rob my house. I burn yours down you kill somebody in my tribe my entire tribes gonna come and wipe all of you out This is the natural human heart. We stand on our dignity. You're not gonna mess with me, and if you do, you're gonna pay for it. And from the very beginning, in the Old Testament law, it was put in place safeguards to make sure that that sort of thing did not happen. These rules protected the weak from the strong, protected the benevolent from the malevolent. And it protected society. There was actually going to be punishment for crimes done. And so, as Deuteronomy says, it would strike fear in people. And I know that there's a lot of us here who would do something about it, but we're afraid of getting caught. In those moments when our heart is wrong and we're grinding our teeth and we're rubbing our fists together and we wanna do something about that situation, we don't because, well, there's probably a video camera, everyone's got one in their phone now, I'm gonna end up a, a YouTube sensation going viral around the world, so we just don't do it. And there's, there's, some, there's some good to that. It does keep society as a whole tempered back on evil because there are consequences for our actions. So this. This idea of eye for eye and tooth for tooth at its heart was intended to be a mercy. It was intended to keep people from overstepping the bounds and getting into just absolute bloodlustful revenge. But the Pharisees of the time had turned it into this this private deal of vengeance. They would teach that. If If somebody offends you, if somebody hurts you, it's well within your right to go to that person and cut them down. After all, they deserve it and after all, you deserve to be compensated by hurting them, by making them look foolish, by doing whatever is in your power to cut that person down and Jesus says no. The. The blood passion of Lamech, that desire to self-elevate by literally cutting somebody else down even to death, Jesus says, No, that's not the way that we're going to do this. One of the best examples of this is in 1 Samuel chapter 24, when David has been on the run from King Saul. King Saul wants David dead, and there's this almost comedic moment where Saul goes into a cave, it says to relieve himself, and David was hiding in that cave, and Saul didn't know it. And David's men were like, Go up the Lord has, they were, they were like, they were preaching to him. They're like, the Lord has brought him into your hands. This is it. It's a freebie. Just go over there and slit his throat. And David says, no, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And so David does sneak up and he cuts off a little piece of Saul's robe. And then when Saul leaves, David goes out there. And then he even feels bad about cutting off a piece of Saul's robe. But he goes out and he says, Saul, look, I was this close. The Lord delivered you into my hands, but I don't, I don't want to escalate this. I don't wanna keep this going. And then to pay him back, Saul then continued to pursue David's life. David is giving us an example there. So what, what is this? Well, this is an Old Testament law. It had been perverted by the religious leaders of the time and once again, Jesus is clarifying what was actually intended. Clarifying what the law was actually meant to be. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's what you've heard said? Well, I tell you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. We read that and some of us are maybe so inclined again to go, see, I'm just gonna sit back and not do anything ever, which oftentimes I find is actually more of an excuse for cowardice than it is anything else. But what, is, that, is that what Jesus is teaching? Is Jesus teaching that there should be absolutely no action whatsoever? That whenever you see evil, whenever you see malevolence, whenever you see abuse, whenever you see something that's lawless, whenever you see things that are chaotic, and somebody is perpetrating that chaos, should you just stand back? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Don't get involved, shut your mouth, leave it to God's sovereignty, and trust that all things are going to work out for the good of God, for those that love God. That's not what Jesus... Is saying here. He's not saying don't do anything. I, I, was, I was trying to think of examples in my life uh, where I've actually seen somebody get involved rightly. And I, I remember when I, was, when I was in high school, uh, there was a guy, I went to, well, maybe I shouldn't tell you where I went to high school, but I, w- I went to high school at this very small school, and there was a there was one day there was a man who was standing over the fence. It was right on a busy street and he was standing over the fence and he was taking photos. He had this big Canon camera and he was taking photos of like third and fourth graders playing on the, on the playground. Real creepy. And the principal of my school was a cop in Alaska before he was a principal at a high school. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this. He ran out of the school. He was wearing a suit jacket and he like unbuttoned it as he was running and threw it off like Superman, and he jumped over the chain link fence and into the soccer field and he chased this guy down and he tackled him. And he didn't beat him up, but he, he tackled him, he got him on the ground and he held him there until the police arrived, and I think that's okay. <laughs> the guy was taking pictures of third graders. I think that's okay, but should, should my principal have, have done nothing, should he have just been like, oh, you know, turn the other cheek, who knows what he's doing, leave him alone, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Living on Fremont. Right in front of my house, busy street. I see all sorts of stuff go down all the time. Am I supposed to not get involved? I've seen people driving drunk, hitting cars that are parked on the side of the road. And should I just go, well, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. Jesus tells me to turn the other cheek. I shouldn't get involved. I'm not gonna turn this person in. Should we sit around and do nothing? Is that what Jesus is teaching here? And it becomes very evident very quickly that at least that is not what Jesus is saying. He, he isn't saying sit by and do nothing. Here he says turn the other cheek. Someone strikes you on the cheek, which is the Old Testament equivalent of, just, of being insulted. The, the idea here is a, is a backhanded slap on the mouth, which is far more of just an insult to you than it is an actual act of, of real aggressive violence. It's sort of the modern day equivalent of getting, if someone spits at you, it's like it doesn't hurt you, but boy, it'll make your blood boil. Jesus says, turn the other cheek, but in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18, he says this in verse 15, he says, if your brother sins, and you hear of it, just turn the other cheek. No, he says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, then, have you, then you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, then take two or three witnesses, so by the, by the mouth of two or three, every fact may be confirmed. That's Deuteronomy 19 that we just read, and if he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church, and if he refuses to even listen to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, which means, at that time, just, just cut him off, just let him be. Let him learn from his actions, there's got to be some discipline. We don't just stand by it, we don't just let things go unchallenged, Jesus himself, in a pretty aggressive act, we looked at this closely when we were going through the Gospel of John, Jesus saw that there was a desecration, there was an insult going on in the temple in John chapter 2, and what did he do? I mean, he went, I mean, it says that he made a whip. This is, this is the almighty God of the universe, and he doesn't, he doesn't beat people up. He's still in control, but he's, he lets them know this business is not, you are getting in the way of Gentiles worshiping. He throws over tables, he interrupts business, he costs people money, he chases out all of the animals. So this isn't just a sit back pacifism. We don't, we don't just do nothing. And we see this time and time and time again, especially in the church, we're, we're, we are to correct people, we are to lift people up, not cut them down, not beat them up, not shame them, not hurt them, not vilify them, not curse them. But for the sake of growth, for the sake of clarifying where are you in the church? Are you, are you saved? Are you here? Because there's actually a, a moment, there's a time whenever people who are in the church may be teaching something or may be voicing something that is actually damaging to people. Especially for leaders in the church. 1 Timothy 5.20, Paul says that if there's elders in the church who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. If you're an elder in the church and you're persistently Comfortably engaging in sinful behavior It's supposed to be called out Because it's supposed to be corrective It's supposed to be helpful We're supposed to aim for human flourishing And for the flourishing of individuals And of congregations and of communities That's our goal And sometimes it requires cutting away the filth 1 Corinthians 5 Very famously Paul says There's a guy in your church Who's sleeping with his mother-in-law Do you, and, you're, and you're proud of it He said, get that guy out of there. Very aggressive language. He says, says, deliver that man over to Satan that his flesh may be destroyed but that his soul might be saved. And I wanna reiterate that again and again and again to the point of redundancy that even when there's action taken in the church, okay, whoever that is, turn your phone off. I'm kidding. It was Josh's phone. The The point is, we aim for flourishing, even when there needs to be an aggressive thing done that might be that might seem over the top or might seem offensive. The end goal, the heart posture of the church of individual Christians is the flourishing of somebody we 've talked about this before i 've preached on this a lot in in, in, the, in the gospel of john it 's all over the place there 's Jesus doing things and saying things to test people, to check them. If you have to have open heart surgery, that's a bummer, it's gonna be expensive, it's gonna be ugly, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna be terrifying, there's gonna be a long recovery, but for the sake of your life, you have to have it done. And the, the Christian engagement with sin and with things that come against us in the church and in our lives, whenever we attack, it's for flourishing, it's not to break down, it's not to destroy, it's not to, to add to the decay of the planet, it's to actually be salt getting in to what is decaying. We preserve, even whenever it's tough, even whenever it's hard. And the same is true for our children, and I, you know, this is, this is a new reality for me, for those of you who don't know, my wife and I just had a baby girl, she's two months old, and What am I supposed to do? If she, if my child, whenever Ella is, I don't know when they start doing it, two, three, four, hits me in the face or tells me to shut up or leave her alone, am I supposed to just be like, okay, honey, turn the other cheek. Is that any way to let, to release her into the world? I mean, what kind of child is she gonna be? What if, what if my daughter comes here and starts hitting your kids, starts hitting you? starts acting all wild out. We're supposed to get involved. And what I'm, what I'm trying to do here, I'm not trying to get away from the text, I'm just trying to encompass everything that, and, and show that we're supposed to, as Christians, we are supposed to get involved. Ephesians 6, 4 says, raise your children up in the discipline and in the, in the instruction of the Lord. And that is a hands-on business. It's hands-on work. You don't just stand by idly and do nothing. There's police and there's the military, and there's communities, and that's a big contentious issue right now, which we're gonna talk about a little bit more when we, get, when we get down a couple of verses. But what are, what are the police supposed to do? Are, are the police supposed to get a call? Pip says, hey, this guy broke into my house and set half of it on fire, and the police go, well, you know, whatever. It's not our business. I happen to be a police officer who's also a Christian, and you know, I'm not gonna get involved with that. That's, that's not what the police, are for, that's not how communities are run. Romans chapter 13, I was reminded of this verse. Listen to this, Romans 13, four, Paul writes, speaking of the governing authorities, he says, the governing authorities are a minister of God to you for your good. But if you do what is evil, then be afraid. For the authorities do not bear the sword in vain, for they are a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of that wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Again, he's saying, for the sake of your conscience, get along in society. But if you don't, there will be consequences. The Bible teaches that there is an active involvement, the Bible does not teach do nothing. And continuing with that idea again i really want to bring this home we see this in the book of acts in the in the lives of the apostles uh, in uh, acts chapter 21 and in acts 24 paul makes a verbal defense for himself he is arrested he doesn't fight he doesn't kick he doesn't scream he doesn't yell he doesn't cuss but he does make a verbal defense for himself in acts chapter 22 and in 24. in acts chapter 7 stephen is killed he's murdered for his faith. And in Acts chapter eight, it says that the disciples, it says the many scattered, they fled. They fled the persecution. And so that's, that's okay. They didn't just stand in line and wait f- to get stoned by the authorities, they ran. They protected themselves, they fled. And in doing so, it says in chapter eight that the gospel went forth because they ran away and they kept preaching, they kept proclaiming the gospel while they did. But they didn't just stand around and wait to get killed. In uh, In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul escapes out of a window because people are looking for his life or he tells the story of when he escaped out of a window. Jesus himself hid, John chapter eight, people picked up stones to kill him and he hid himself. Proverbs 22 says that a prudent man sees evil and hides. So we can run, we can hide, we can offer a defense, we can correct. In Acts 22, uh, Paul brings up that he's a, he's a Roman citizen. They stretch him out, they're just about to whip him. And he, again, he doesn't cuss, he doesn't yell, he doesn't call him names, but he says, you know guys, I'm a Roman citizen and what you're about to do, I, I, I don't think this is the right thing to do. And it actually scares them and they stop. Uh, but a little bit more of his human side, I know Paul is always held up as the shining example and in many ways he is, but in Acts chapter 26, he gets punched in the mouth. You know the story. He, the high priest orders him to get punched in the mouth. And so somebody strikes Paul right in the kisser. And Paul says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. <laughs> and somebody says, is that how you're going to talk to the high priest? And Paul, he apologizes. He repents. But it, his tongue got the better of him. But in that, in that moment, he, he, he struck back with his mouth. But he said, I'm sorry, brothers, I did not realize it was the high priest. It is written, you shall not speak evil of your, of your rulers. He quickly apologizes, he quickly repents. So I bring all of these up because when I read Jesus' words, I want to know what he actually is saying and what he's not saying is stand by and do nothing. That's not what he means. Even Jesus himself in John chapter 18 gets punched in the mouth. And he, and, I mean, if, this, is, this is our God, this is our king, what does he do? He doesn't strike back, he doesn't cuss, he doesn't call names, he doesn't throw a fit, he doesn't demand his rights, he doesn't demand respect and dignity, but he lets the guy know, the guy that hit him, he let him know, he said, if I have spoken wrongly, then testify to the wrong, but if not, then why do you hit me? And you know, you know when you've done something impetuous and stupid and somebody responds like that, it makes you feel this big. Because you know that you're in the wrong. You know that you went out of bounds. You know that you acted like a dork and the, and the person that you mistreated is acting like a, a responsible adult. That really cuts. It's part of what the Bible means whenever it says that you pour burning coals on your enemies' heads when you give them food to eat when they're hungry and you give them something to drink when they're thirsty. That drives them nuts because they want you to act back. They want you to, to snap back. They want you to lose it. And when you don't, that teaches them, it shows them that you're, you're above that. There's something more inside of you. It's an example, and that drives people nuts. Jesus responds properly. He lets, them, he lets the guy know what you just did was wrong, but he does it in love. He does it in grace. Do not resist the one that is evil. Okay, well then what, okay, Ian, what does it mean? Well, it means something like this. It means the word there actually is to set yourself, yourself up Against. It means to, now I am against you. I am standing with my shoulders back and I am opposed to you. We are now enemies. That's what it is to, to, to this, this idea of resisting is this idea of, I'm, I'm now on the defense. I'm not seeking righteousness. I'm not seeking justice. I'm seeking vengeance. I want to hurt you. I want to escalate this feud. This thing that you started, I'm going to finish. Vengeance, bloodlust, not righteousness not justice, selfish vengeance. Do not resist. Do not do that. And this has always been true. Do not seek selfish retribution. Always been true. Romans 12:17 says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Why do Christians need to, why are we talking about this? Christians are nice people, right? They should be, they're supposed to be, so why, why, why are we having this discussion? Who's gonna come up against a, a, a Christian, a, a nice guy, a nice gal who pays their taxes and goes to work and raises their family, hangs out with their community and goes to church and say, why, why, why all this, why are we talking about aggression? Why are we, why are we even having this conversation? And, and the reason is because we're promised in scripture that if we follow the Lord, If we desire to live righteous lives, Paul says, you will be persecuted. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. John says that the light has come, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, but the the world loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Jesus said in John 7, 7, they hate me because I testify that their deeds are evil just following Jesus rightly will gain you enemies. You don't even have to raise your voice, you don't have to call names, you don't have to cuss, you don't have to lose your cool. Just following Jesus, desiring to live a godly life, we're promised in scripture that it's gonna, it's gonna get aggressive. And the heart that we are to have is not for vengeance, is not for retribution, but for love and for patience. To seek the flourishing of individuals, to seek the flourishing of relationships, to not engage in behavior that makes the aggravation any worse. And inevitably the question is asked, well what does that mean about our second amendment rights? What does that mean about violence? What about about somebody coming into my home? And you know what friends, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I, I don't, I don't exactly know. I don't have all the answers. There's so many what if scenarios and hypotheticals that you can make up. Each one has to be addressed. This is why Deuteronomy 19 is there. So that there were judges and there were magistrates. There was a rule of law. There was jurisprudence. So we can investigate and see what is going on here. What are all the details? What do the witnesses say? What actually happened? Each situation requires that. I, I know a woman personally. This is a this is a real life example and it's on some of your minds and so I don't want to ignore it and then have you feel like I ignored it on purpose. So I at least want to address it. This woman that I know, her name is Susan. She's in her 60s. She's a nurse and an ER nurse and when she was in her 40s, she was going through a, a nasty season with her husband. They were separated at the time and he put out a contract killer on her. He hired a guy to, to kill her. And so she came home from work one day after a 12-hour shift and she was taking off her shoes and getting herself a smoothie or something like that and this grown man came out of the shadows with a hammer and struck her in the face now susan is not your everyday individual she not only knew that she she didn't have she had the temperament to fight back and she had the training to fight back and susan went mano-a-mano with this guy and the way that she tells the story, you can find this online. I know this woman personally. You can, you can look this story up. She got into a wrestling match with this dude. And she got him on the ground. And she started to choke him. She was an ER nurse. She'd been trained in self-defense. She started to choke him out. And she said to him, she looked him in the eye and she said, Stop fighting me. I'm bleeding from the head. You're bleeding. I will, I will call us both an ambulance. I am a nurse. Stop fighting me and he called her names and he used some expletives and he took another swing at her and she held him down and she choked him and he died. There are people, I know there are people who would read Jesus' words here and they would say, well, you know what, Susan should have let the guy kill her. Instead of taking a life, she should have let him kill her. And then there are others of you who would say, absolutely not, you come into my home Exodus 22:2. if someone breaks into your house and they are struck dead, there's no blood guilt. But if you wait until the sun rises, that means that if, if they get away, if you wait for the sun to rise a day or two, or even if they just are running away from your house, if you scare them and they take off, you let them go. The Bible says that if you chase them down, if you kill them later, then there is blood guilt. You are guilty of murder. But in the heat of the moment, if something happens, and God forbid, I don't want to be dogmatic about this, I don't want to be flippant about it, make up some scenario. I I I don't know. I don't know. I'm a grown man with a beautiful wife and an infant daughter at home. And if someone breaks into my house, is what Jesus is telling me to do here is to just stand by and go, all right, you know, I just trust you to make the right choices. No. We're to defend. But man, I want to, you know, I I want to get this guy stopped, and then I'll visit him in jail. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to do that. But from a hypothetical situation, friends, I can't tell you what to do. Seek flourishing. Seek to help. Seek to to reconcile. Rehabilitate. I know that life isn't always that cut and dry and it's not always that clear and clean and that there's different takes on this. This is one of those, this is, again, I said it once, I'll say it again, this is one of those texts that people just do not agree on. But what is very clear is that what Jesus is teaching us here is that we are a people who do not seek retribution. We do not seek vengeance. Some, some unfortunate thing may happen, but man, you are, you are called to not go after somebody to get them. That is wrong, that is sin, and that is clear. We have hearts that even our enemies, man, I heard it said one time, I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends. I don't know who said that or where it came from, but that is the gospel truth. We destroy our enemies when we make them our friends. Do not set yourself up against, do not resist, do not puff up your chest and get brass knuckles and go after somebody. Instead, feed them, love them, heap burning coals on their head in this way. And with that attitude, somebody might even try to sue you. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your garment also. This, the idea here is, is a shirt and a jacket. Somebody sues you for your shirt, give them your jacket also. And we're actually told this, Jesus isn't just making this stuff up. Everything in the Bible is used from the Bible. He's talking about Exodus chapter 22. If somebody takes your cloak, you give it in a pledge, make sure to get that back to them because it's their blanket. That's what they use to sleep. So if you take it, make sure to get it back to them. And Jesus is saying, give it up, give it away. Let them have it. For the sake of relationship, for the sake of restoration, for the sake of there being peace, don't don't get aggressive, don't hold on. This is, everything here is balanced, everything here is is tempered with wisdom, wisdom. If somebody comes and asks you, can I have your shoes? Can I have your, I'm gonna end up naked on Belmont Street. I mean, there is a point where you can be like, okay, I I want to help you. This isn't a wooden, stark literalism, just give it up. There is wisdom here. But But again, the general idea is be somebody who is willing to let go. If you end up in a lawsuit, maybe you've done something wrong. And we're told in Peter, hey, if you're suffering for evil, if you're suffering as an evildoer, then you endure patiently. And maybe you've done something to deserve a lawsuit, but even then, if you're quick to litigation, if you're someone who's quick to sue somebody, take a step back, take a breath, and reconsider. Is there another way to do this? Because Paul goes on to say that if there is a lawsuit among you as brethren, then already you're failing. You're already doing this wrong. You shouldn't be quick to sue someone, 1 Corinthians 6, 7. He says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Who cares? I wanna be good with you. Maybe I overstepped the bound, maybe I did something wrong, maybe I did, but if you're gonna sue me, like listen, like you can, you can have what you want, but I, you can have my hat. I've gotten emails about it, like take it, it's cool. I'll get a haircut. You can have my boots if you, if you want it, but I just want this to be good. But if you come after me for something in litigation, in my response is to, is to knuckle down and to fight you and to cuss you and to, and to destroy your reputation. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Just, just give it up. Let it go, it's not a big deal. There is an inheritance for you that is unperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Zoom out, take a breath. It's not that big of a deal. You can get a new cloak. If you're a part of a church, I promise you somebody will give you one. So just breathe. Restoration, love, friendship, forgiveness. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about clarifying the law. How does that happen? This is is how, this is the idea. We become these kinds of people. Not vindictive, not full of retribution, not wanting to get even, but wanting to love. Wanting to change hearts by extending grace. How and why, we'll get to in a minute, but this is how this goes down. Verse 41, whoever forces you to go with them one mile, go with them two miles. This is actually something that was true in Israel. A Roman soldier, now remember, if, and in case, you, in case you don't know, the, the world that Jesus grew up in was among the people of Israel, the people of the Jews, and R- Rome was over them, ruling over them, and the Roman soldiers could do whatever they want, whenever they wanted. We, we, you, we went through 2020 and all the rest, and you see A, C, A, B, tagged everywhere. Everybody hates the cops. We wanted to defund them. We want to abolish them and all that. Well, imagine this. Imagine if those cops that you hate so much actually had the right to tap you on the shoulder and say, here's my bulletproof vest. Here's my lunch. You're coming with me. Well, I just started my work shift. I don't care. You're coming with me. They had to go. Whew. Can you imagine, can you put yourself in that position? Can you imagine how mad, how unjust, how arrogant? And Jesus is saying, you know what? Instead of getting mad, walk two miles with him. The, le- the law said that a Roman soldier could do that and force you to go one mile. When Jesus was carrying his cross beam to Golgotha and he, f- and he fell down absolutely exhausted and the Roman soldiers grabbed Simon and said, hey you, pick up this cross. That's what was going on there. The Roman soldiers had the authority by law to just take you and make you do that. And Jesus is saying, don't get even. Don't kick rocks in, 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 in his shoes and don't throw things at the back of his head. Take his stuff and walk with him. And if he wants you to go further, again, let it go maybe you can get this guy saved maybe in the two miles that you're walking with him you can preach to him the gospel this is a radical self-denial and this is why when i brought this to angela she was like good because this is the exact message that you need to hear i struggle with this jesus says go with him two miles let yourself go Let your rights go, your dignity, even here your freedom and your liberty. Go go with them, do what you're told. Walk the two miles. As far as the kingdom of God's concerned, that's not a big deal. Go with them for two miles. And finally to give, verse 42. By the way, it's getting a little bit late. If you guys need to go get your kiddos, go ahead. We started a little bit late today. Verse 42, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Um, I'll make this point quickly because I want I to I get to the, the beauty of, of, of Jesus. Proverbs 19.17 says that whoever is generous lends to the Lord. We should be a people who are willing to give. Now, what's, again, there's got to be wisdom here because obviously giving to somebody and loving them and doing right by them is not always the same thing. If you have friends or family who struggle with drugs or addiction or something like that and they come, and I've had friends... I've had friends that have struggled really bad with alcoholism and they're asking me for 20 bucks, man. Just give me 20 bucks. I just need 20 bucks. I can't give you 20 bucks, man. Give to the one who asks. Yeah. You have to, you have to be, you have to think about this. You have to be, you have to be wise. It's okay to not enable somebody. We are not called nor is it loving to enable that sort of behavior or to even enable somebody in their idleness. We're told in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 that if one does not work, they do not eat. If somebody needs a leg- if they have a legitimate need to get help, if they I mean some of y'all when Ella was born and, and Angie and I were both sleep deprived and hadn't showered in 3 days and you know the, the best thing that we had was Kraft macaroni and cheese from a box. You guys made a meal and you came and you gave them to us. That's one example. It benefited us greatly. Be someone who's willing to give and even to give radically but just use wisdom and use caution, does this, does this help? Does this help does it, or does it enable and does it, actually, does it actually hurt? Ephesians 4.28, the one who steals may he steal no longer but now he must labor, doing with his hands what is good so that he may have something to share with those in need. It is incumbent upon us to give to legitimate need and to even give before we ask, Before there's a question. If you guys know that somebody needs something, God has given all for you. He's given you the very air in your lungs right now. If you plug your ears and you can hear that ba-bump, ba-bump, bump of your heart, that's a gift to you. So be willing to give to others, to show grace, to show love. So in closing... What is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about radical grace. How? All of these ways. It's a mindset. It's a disposition. It's a belief. It's a love. It's an aim for restoration. It's an aim for flourishing. Relationships and individuals do not seek vengeance. Do not seek destruction. That's all vengeance does is it adds to the destruction. It adds to the hurt. It adds to the malevolence. We should be a people who aim for restoration, aim for building up, and what we need to understand as Christians what we need the reason one of the biggest reasons why you know if I wasn't a pastor, I'd still be coming to church every single Sunday, because I need to remember throughout the week, but I need to be here every Sunday to be told, I need somebody, I need a pastor, I need somebody standing behind one of these podiums with the God's word in his hand, pointing at me and saying, remember who you are. Remember what God has done for you. Don't get cocky, don't get arrogant, don't get vengeful. Remember what God did for you. Remember and understand the loving God of the universe and that will transform your heart that will turn you into this kind of person. And we can show the value of Jesus. We can show the world how much Jesus has done for us and how much he means for us by pouring out our resources, by letting go, by giving. We don't need to be irresponsible. We don't need to be foolish, but we can be giving. We can just lavish people with things because we don't need the world's dignity, we don't need the world's money, we don't need the world's revenge or security or liberty, we've been given everything in Christ Jesus. For eternity, not for the 80 or 90 years we got here. Do you remember that? We have the hope of the resurrection of the gospel, John chapter 5, there will be a resurrection. That resurrection will lead to an inheritance, 1 Peter 1.4, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. There will be nothing but peace and love and joy in that inheritance, Revelation 21.4. Every tear wiped away, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, and we will be in a family in that inheritance, Romans 8.16. That Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children of God, we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We get what Jesus gets, we get a place at the table. You can let go of 50 bucks. You can let go of a cloak or a pair of shoes. You can let go of, a, of an insult. You can let go of a slap for the sake of inviting that person into this inheritance. So how do we do this? This is the what, this is the how, or this is the why, and this is, this is the how. How, how. how do we do this? Why do we do this? Because the Bible tells us Feed your enemies, give to them something to drink. Romans 5.10 says that we were reconciled while while we were still enemies. The God of the universe loved us and died for us, and so we know what it's like to be loved even as an enemy of God. Jesus didn't wait for us to get our act together and start acting right and then go, okay, now I'm willing to go to the cross for you. Now I'm willing to pay for the sins. Now that you've gotten yourself somewhat put together, I am willing to take the next step. He engaged, we love because he first loved us. He made the move, he initiated. He initiated love, he initiated grace and that's what we should do. Not set ourselves up as an enemy against somebody, but to set ourselves up as grace towards our enemies. That's what Jesus did. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you cast an eye down just to verse 44, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This is all, everything we're talking about here this morning is putting to practice our divine DNA, the, the, the nature that we share. We're sons and daughters of God and we get to show the world that when it hurts, when it's costly, Whenever it pains us to give, we still are able to exercise and put into practice the fact that we are the sons and daughters of God. And this is how the sons and the daughters of God act. This is how we show the world the kingdom of God. And, and, and I'll, I'll close with this. A reason why it's really hard to let our enemies go, to not get back, to not get even, is because it, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you, where you really did let something go, and you can almost taste This like metal, like this metallic copper. It's like you're sucking on pennies. Like you're so mad that, I don't know if the taste buds on your tongue start to erupt or something. You know what it's like to bite down so hard that you you can taste it. And and because we think this person's getting away with it. They're getting away with this and I'm letting them. Do not avenge yourselves. Leave room for God to work vengeance is mine says the lord nobody will ever get away with anything jesus paid for your sins on the cross things will be paid for in hell or on the cross that is a reality and if you're here this morning and you have if if you've hurt people if you've taken revenge if you've actually thrown the punch or destroyed the reputation or something like that there is forgiveness for that in the cross of jesus if you're sitting here this morning and, and you think that, you know, there is that one person who, man, I would love to just strike, they're not going to get away with it. Let it go. And some of us have been hurt greatly, and forgiveness is not trust. I'll tell you this right now if somebody ever hurts Ella, I'll forgive them, but I may not let them around Ella again. That's okay, there's wisdom there. If you've been hurt, forgiveness and letting it go is not the same as trusting them. That's a different story, you don't have to do that. You can forgive in part ways. But we were enemies of God, he died for us, he showed us grace and we can give that back to him because he who knew no sin became sin and step by step, friends, let's remember, let's remind ourselves who we are, what Christ did for us and pray by the power's influence that we will be conformed more into the person of Jesus Christ and we can let go all of these slaps and all of these lawsuits and all of this stuff to invite people into the kingdom. We're free of that. We have an inheritance. God loves you. You have heaven forever. Let it, let it go and invite an opportunity for grace, amen? Bow your heads with me. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your radical grace and please inform us by that grace. Change our hearts, soften us. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who has been hurt by somebody and they feel like that person got away with it. I pray for people this morning who might really, really want to seek vengeance because otherwise vengeance will not take place. Um, Lord, I pray for a release. I pray for a peace. I pray for a supernatural work of your spirit that you will just let that person be unburdened by that heavy cloud, that you will do a little miracle inside of their heart, that you will grant them forgiveness for that person, that they won't be poisoned by by cynicism or, or, or by, by, by vengeance anymore. Lord, bring us to the cross and let us there see your grace and your love that you did as a free will act of your own to enter to give us entrance into your kingdom where we will be forever. Lord, may that reality change our hearts. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being with us here this morning. I pray that my broken words would be used by you and your spirit to convert and to convict, to change hearts this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, friends, this is Russ Lacey, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope Southeast. Thanks for listening to this teaching. We always want to encourage you to give to your local church and would never want to supplant that. But if you're a regular listener and would like to help our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and minister here in the city of Portland, we'd welcome your prayers and financial support. Just head over to doorofhopepdx.org and click Give from the menu bar. May God bless you.